If your dad's the head of surgery, they only call you in an emergency. Cause he's been drinking his lunch. And now you got a hunch that he killed that pregnant lady. And he's gonna do something shady. But there ain't no Derek Hobson, I am the younger brother. I am Pierce Nahigian, I am the elder brother. And this is Losing, Losing Lost. Lost. <laughs> so we'll get it at some point. That, no, that, well, that, that's how it's going to be every time. <laughs> we are today reviewing All the Best Cowboys Have Daddy Issues. It is episode 11 of season one of ABC's Lost. It first aired on December 8th. 2004 i don't want to overstate it but this episode feels very important to me it feels like this is the the lever on which the the whole season turns do you feel that way i don't know if i feel that way plot wise but i will say this episode in terms of setting that standard for lost characters structure even more so than the last episode where we felt that each character knew what mold they fit. Mm. This one, we get so much more of that. This feels very much like a part two to the last one. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. When I think about the last one with Claire, the thing that I liked about it was that we did get these nice nugget cameos of these different characters and like, when you go and see Sawyer, you know what to expect. When you mm-hmm. see Locke, he's doing the tanning, the hide, and whatnot. But it did feel like cameos, because that's basically relegated to a line or two of dialogue. This one, not only do you have a very tight flashback, and in my opinion, this was the best flashback I've seen so far, but you also do get those character things, but there you get a lot more information from Locke, from Kate, from Sawyer and Saeed, which I'm sure we'll get to. Uh, <laughs> I, I, but you're right. It, um, in terms of it, it definitely feels like a part two to the last episode. And uh, I loved it. It's very good. From like start to finish, and I feel like the last Jack episode was kind of like this too, where it just, it you're just on this ride like the whole time. And I also loved it. The flashbacks in this are so good that it, oh man, John Terry as Jack's dad is kind of like the secret MVP of the show. Like the stuff that he does with his face and he feels real. He feels so real and he goes from so intense to so pathetic. I absolutely love him. And I, I, I don't know if I've always appreciated that performance but watching this episode and watching him playing off Matthew Fox, most of their, those flashbacks is just those two characters just bashing against each other. And it's it's painful to watch and it's great to watch. Like, I was locked in. Yeah, I'm in 100% agreement. John Terry, you'll see his eyes have this, like, 
quiet rage, but then also sympathetic. And then I wrote this down, because this is what I believe it is. He performs manipulative groveling. Which, <laughs> like, and it, it's, it's, what it is. and it's oxymoronic, but he nails it. In my opinion, again, to harp on the last episode a little bit with the, you know, discount Elijah Wood boyfriend of Claire's, where he has that scene where he breaks up with Claire. And I know we were divided a bit on how that scene should play, if it should mm. play one way or the other, or if it should be vague. And thinking about that and looking at John Terry, John Terry does it in a way where I'm simultaneously like, this guy is an addict. Maybe he loves his son. Maybe he cares about his job. May like, and like, it just, there was so much. I don't feel misled. I don't feel lied to, although I know that's a theme in this episode. I, I, I feel like it's intended to be this layered, complex performance. And I want to see more of him. Yeah. And it's totally to the credit of the actor that, like you were saying, you feel bad for him at the same time that you're repelled by him. Like he, you get that he has done a bad thing and it doesn't even seem that he has remorse for the thing so much as he doesn't want to lose his job. Like it, that's very clear how he feels about this woman who died under his care is almost irrelevant to, he does care about his job. That is very clear. How he feels about his son seems much more ambiguous, but you can see in his eyes that Jack has all the power here and taking this away from him is effectively a death sentence for him because we know how this ends. We know that from the last Jack uh, flashback or from the first Jack flashback, whatever the one was with his mom, just way back in the day, that as soon as he lost his job, he went on a huge bender, went to Australia and eventually died. And Jack is carrying around that guilt. So we know that now. And John Terry plays it like that. You can see in his eyes, don't take this away from me. It's all that I have to keep myself from just plunging into my own darkness. Yeah. And, and I mean, I mean, even when he does end that one scene with the, with the pen, he's like, this is my life. <laughs> um, it helped it so much. Cause if, if you remember this, when we talked about that, the last Jack episode, I was like, why is this guy crying over his dad? I remember his dad being just a son of a bitch. <laughs> um, and now that performance also just makes so much more sense Yeah. because it's like, yeah, he essentially, at least we certainly know that Jack feels that he is absolutely responsible for his dad's death. Yeah. And it's like, you know, he did this because a life was lost. He thought he did the right. And it just like, it made that episode even better in retrospect, which to me is like, th that's, premium lost that is something that happened even knowing since we've seen the series even knowing what ends up happening this enriched the episode in retrospect and oh it just it made me feel so good what's interesting is that john terry is so intense and plays it in such a way that like you can totally see how jack would come from this guy like you know, you'll see like a movie or see a TV show and like this actor plays the dad, this actor plays the son. And it's like, OK, those are the actors playing this thing. Like you totally get how Jack became the way that he is being raised by a father like this. They both have this authority to them. 
John Terry is such a, he is dad. Like he is, he plays a dad like no other. It's like Batman Begins when Liam Neeson is, you know, the the father that Bruce Wayne never had. It's 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 a that kind of character where it's like as soon as he shows up, he's like, oh, that's daddy. Like that's John Terry. He's this dad. But he also, he has this very much like, I'm in charge. You're going to do what I say. And Jack, uh, it's perfect. It's really good. All right, so we get into the recap. Yes, uh, okay. I'm very excited about this. So we start immediately where we left off last episode. Hurley saying Ethan wasn't on the manifest. Michael says Ethan went together Wood. Locke says Charlie went after Claire. And this is how you start an episode of Lost with Jack and Locke furiously running through the jungle. You've got the score just like bump, 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 bump. they're going. And they're sweaty, and they're frantic, and they find Claire's bag, and Locke immediately starts, like, tracking. And I have a, I have a small rant here, uh, if you'll permit me. This is how you do an ensemble show. Jack is the leader, he's the doctor, but Locke is the hunter. He can discern the three sets of footprints and suss out where they went, and every character has a role as opposed to a series like, for example, Fast and the Furious, where at some point they just decided everybody does the same thing. They all drive cars. They all can heist. They all know kung fu. They all have a hookup at the DMV. They all can hack into every computer in the world. And it's like, that's not interesting. You let the people have their separate skills. I, I, was, I, was, I was very happy to see that Jack was... Jack is... Jack is determined, but Jack doesn't know what the heck he's doing in the jungle. And Locke, continuously through this episode, is just like, okay, Jack, please calm down, slow down. We, we, can, we can track them, but you need, you need to just not run off like a chicken with your head cut off. Yes, uh, even though it sounds like there's a lot you want to say about the Fast and Furious. I, uh, <laughs> I'll try to keep it. I'll try to keep it. Brief. I finally, after two years, finished the eighth one. That's one of the worst Wait, ones. I would watch an entire movie of Jason Statham keeping a baby safe and fighting a bunch of people on a plane. <laughs> that sequence was incredible. I loved it. But yes, I don't remember any of the other parts of that movie. And I know six through 10 are all basically the same movie. It's for somebody who used to really, really love this series. It's um, it, it, it makes me so mad. <laughs> I remembered liking six, but I don't remember what happens. Six is okay, but it's but I, anything past five is basically it's it got way too big for its britches. I I got misty at seven when uh, oh of course uh, if well, you, if you, yeah if you don't get misty at the end of seven you don't have a soul. I don't care if you hate these movies. It's uh it it oh man what a what a ride I um. I'm going to start getting misty if we don't move on. I, uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, to circle back, you mentioned how each of the characters have a point. And I know this is something we brought up when it was like in the pilot or maybe it was the second episode where Sa Saeed, Kate, and I forget. Or no, uh, Locke, Kate, and Michael all go out finding the boar or the dog or something, you know. Anyway, yeah. I do love that. That said, that was something I wanted to draw attention to because I get uh, just mm, masterful storytelling character drama as well as uh, narrative choice to have Locke, this antithesis of jack jack always telling people to stay put 
you stay here. I'm going to go do this thing. Locke spends his whole sequence inviting people. Kate's like, I'm going with you. He's like, I figured you might. Not even a question. Boone says, I'd like to help out. Yeah, I could use another pair of hands. Here you go. And then Michael comes by. And Walt, and I love this parallel, just so brilliant. Walt is like, I could use Vincent. I could help find the guy. And Michael tells him, no, you don't get to come. Hey, Locke, can I come? Uh, no. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. Because we know Locke's inviting everyone. You can all come. It's very much. That's the antithesis of Jack. Everyone gets to come. Everyone can contribute. Michael, you're going to keep telling the boy no? Then no to you. I didn't even put that together. I wonder if that was what that is. Is Locke almost punishing him for Oh, it's absolutely. For you think so? I, I, I can't imagine it any other way. Because they literally just spent that whole sequence being like, you can come, you can come. No. <laughs> when that happens... I'm trying to figure out, like, what are the writers trying to tell us about Michael here? Like, why? It just ends up making Michael look like an asshole, as as so often it does. Because Michael tries to bluff Locke into being like, well, maybe I'll start my own search party. And Locke's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Please do that. We're going north. Why don't you go south? And Michael's just left staring at him like, uh, okay. I, what, what is this character supposed to be? Like, are we... Are we not supposed to like him? It's, it's, I don't, it, this, this felt so, this felt so mean to the character. Like, I don't, I don't get what it was. If it's to express that he feels left out, fine. But surely there's a way to do that without him feeling like, because it's his jealousy of Locke is so hard to watch. Because it's it's so clear that it's just he wouldn't give a shit if Walt didn't idolize this guy so much. And it really bothers him. But instead of being constructive about it, he just he just gets petulant about it. It's it's I, I hate I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Yeah, I and it is like it's such a bummer from, you know, I think it was the moth when he was like, hey. There's a human in there. Yeah, they, he had something to do. He was an engineer, and he, you know, had, and I was like, oh, okay, we're turning a corner with Michael. We figured out, you know, what his purpose is here. And then right back, we just slap him in the face and be like, no, get back down. To Harold Perrineau's credit, which, again, I don't know what else this actor has done other than the Matrix sequels. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he was a nothing character in those. I believe he was in every season of Oz which he was very good in that. Uh, he was in Romeo plus Juliet. He was fantastic in that. Um, is that the John Leguizamo one? Yes, that is the John Leguizamo one. Um, he plays, that. yeah, he plays Mercutio. I actually think that he, oh. yeah, he acquits himself really well on that when other people in the movie are kind of just screaming the Shakespeare <laughs> at each other. But uh, yeah, and he's been in, he's been in some stuff since then, but his big thing, I think he was in Oz before this, but yeah, that I think that was his big sort of, breakout if not romeo plus juliet anyway well yeah i i would be interested to see it but to to his credit i think he does it right in that scene to what we know of michael's character where again when michael gets assaulted by a korean his immediate response was that guy's a racist mm -hmm. and even though he doesn't say Locke's a racist he see it in his eyes <laughs> he's like why can't i come uh <laughs> And like, I even like the way, cause I was also trying to figure out 
what the hell that line meant when uh, Michael says, I may not be a warrior, but I am going south. I mean, I took it as in, he's like, I'm not the superhero that you think Locke is, but I am doing something. I'm not just sitting here. I see. That's probably it. Oh, okay. To back up a little bit, when Jack and Locke are there looking at the tracks and stuff, Jack is so pissed that his people have been taken. There's a lot more psychologically going on, which we find out later in the episode, but it really just, it's clear that he's like, no. These were my people. I brought them to the caves. They're supposed to be safe here. Caves are great. I love caves. Locke advocates for regrouping and forming a search party. Jack's having none of that shit. Jack also makes the point that Ethan would have to be very strong to kidnap two people and drag them through the jungle. And again, I don't I don't think it's ever brought up explicitly, but Ethan is portrayed like a superhuman villain here. Because first of all, Yes, clearly, like, if he's dragging the two of them through the jungle, through through the amount of distance that he covered, that's crazy. Unless he had a weapon on him and then he was, like, threatening them to go, which I don't think he does. I think it's just him. And then, two, to string up Charlie in the tree later on, like, that's not a thing you can do. Not quickly. That's not a normal thing. And I'm I've always been curious how much they, the showrunners intended for the others to be of like supernaturally more athletic or just more being able to do things that they don't know. Or if that's something that they weren't even thinking about it that much, just like Ethan's a bad guy. He can do bad guy things like this. I do feel that at the very least they mitigate some of it when they do find the second set of tracks. I felt that it was implied that Ethan had help. Now Mm. I don't know that that's something that gets explored because i know when we get like the tail section and the other you know 180 days 90 days whatever i'm pretty sure ethan is just out there on his own um (laughs) no you're right though because charlie does say they at the end of the episode i hadn't even thought about that but well no and i take that back though because Locke, Locke, we've established that Locke can can discern different sets of footprints and as far as i know he never says there's more people in the jungle but I guess it's it's all supposed to be ambiguous as to, you know, who is in the jungle, how many people are there, does Ethan have help? I think you bring up a good point. And Locke does do the thing where, like, when Jack is going, like, Claire, Claire, he's like, shh. And I, I took that to mean, like, Jack, we don't know how many people <laughs> are out here. A point that we made in the last episode was, shouldn't they have done one beat or the other? Hurley saying, hey, there's at least one person that wasn't on the manifest. Or have Saeed say, we're not alone. There are others. I felt that, I guess I got that sense that there were more people. Yeah. And I mentioned this too because, uh, here's the other thing I'll say about Ethan, because, and don't get me wrong, I will fall in love with this guy as an actor because he just goes from, hello there, to, uh, you know, I, I, I think he does do a good job. But this episode gave me pause because he definitely plays it like he's the terminator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when he says what is the, what is the line that he has i wrote this down later but that line uh no more warnings yep <laughs> it's like okay and the sound effects that they gave when he steps on jack's chest like, he oh. said, like it very much feels like this guy is stronger than he looks <laughs> yes <laughs> oh that was the other thing i was going to mention is just that i did like 
because at first I thought this was dumb, and then I'm like, no, this is very much a Jack Locke difference in personality thing, is that when Locke says, never mind how, why? Because Locke is very much like, I can walk again. I don't need to know the physics. <laughs> I want to know why they kidnapped a VH1 rocker dropout and a pregnant woman. Jack is so amped up and just soaked in adrenaline trying to get them back. But Locke is trying to think about this strategically, pragmatically. It's it's interesting seeing the two of them clash through this whole episode where Locke is very good, I feel like all throughout the first season, of just picking up on cues from people. Like, he, he knows there's something else going on with Jack. Like, it's sort of like in the White Rabbit episode where he's just like, I know you're you're not out here looking for water. You're out here looking for something else. Like, I get it. And he, like, the whole time, and he keeps giving Jack, like, all these little outs where he's just sort of like, hey, why don't we rest for a little bit? Hey, how about you do this? And Jack's like, now, now, John. <laughs> well, and that's what I like, too, is how consistent he's been where, even with, like, telling Charlie, like, hey, on the third time, I'm just going to give it back to you. When Jack is telling him, like, we're going. And he's like, I'm going to go back and make a search party. Jack's like, where'd they go? And he's like, went that way. Yep. It's like, <laughs> I'm not going to hold you back. Like, if you're going to go, you're going to go. The only other thing I was going to mention is that, because I like how uh, you've assigned the sense of Jack, like, wanting to keep his people in the caves and, and feeling. <laughs> <laughs> he loves caves. <laughs> but I will say, there are two things about Jack that I realize now in my notes we passed. Which, one is, I got the impression that he just feels super guilty. And I know that he eventually confesses this, but yeah, he was basically saying, like, I was telling her she was paranoid. She wasn't paranoid. Um, <laughs> but I also love how quickly in this back and forth with Locke, Locke very much says, like, we don't know how many people there are. And Jack literally does the same thing to Saeed that he just did to Claire and feels guilty about. Where he's like, well, Saeed's delirious. <laughs> And, and it's like, dude, Jack, you thought that Claire was paranoid and look what happened. But yeah, let's learn from our mistakes, buddy. So we get our first flashback. Jack is in surgery, losing a patient. He tries to bring her back with chest compressions. His father tells him to call it. He tells his dad to call it, which comes off as petulant until we get a later flashback and find out, oh, oh, no, 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 no. This, uh... This is very much his dad's surgery, and he was uh, called in as an emergency. Just seems like, geez, Jack, why are you being a dick? Thank you. I, I was like, oh, man, I thought he was being so petty. And they make you think that this is like, oh, is this like the first patient Jack ever lost? It reminded me, and again, when I mentioned this episode being just a highlight uh, for me. This might be my favorite. I'll, well, we'll get back to that. We'll let the end. <laughs> but similar to how we discussed Sawyer's flashbacks, how... Hmm. Until he has the moment where you know that he's conning the guy at the dinner, each one of those flashbacks gives you a little glimpse of like, oh, he's he loves this woman. He absolutely does. <laughs> and then and the next, you know, and like they keep playing this up until eventually like that's the guy I know. That's the one. But this one is even in some ways better because the Sawyer that we saw in the Sawyer flashbacks, it's like, I don't know that guy. I know yeah. the guy I've seen on the island. This one. Yeah, it absolutely seems within character for Jack to be that petty. Mm -hmm. uh, and as you mentioned, like, yeah, the the reversal. And even then, like, it's also like John Terry, just like when he's saying, like, call it, Jack, it mm -hmm. very much like you don't get the impression that there's anything wrong with this guy. No, you feel like he's like supervising his surgery or something and just being like, you need to accept that this is the way that surgeries go. 
you're a doctor, take responsibility for it. And yeah, it gets flipped so hard. And I love it because it's not the first time they'll do that. And I'm sure we'll get to that when we get to it. <laughs> <laughs> Back on the island. Kate tells Locke she's coming. Figured you might. Boone comes as well. We're starting off the, what I like to call the Locke apprentice arc between Boone and Locke. It's kind of cute in a way where it's like this, this kind of a joke character of Boone. This just pretty boy who basically gets by by on his family's money and, you know, works for liberal causes when it suits him. Locke just says like, if you want to help, come on over. And Boone really takes to that. But as we are constantly discovering on this show, everybody has daddy issues and uh, Boone and Locke, uh, no different. As we've already covered, Michael says he wants to go as well. Locke's like, uh, yeah, we'll form another group. And Michael's response is to make a sound. It makes me so mad. I I don't need to rehash what I've said about Michael before, but I, I just feel like there was a better way to make the character. He just, he comes off as so unlikable. I don't remember when Michael's flashback is, but I am very curious if it will add insights now. Because I don't remember hating him this much on a first run. I remember being annoyed. I, yeah, my... My issue with Michael is that it it never feels that the writers got what his deal was supposed to be, other than incompetent father. And I should preface this by saying I am not an authority to talk about racial politics. One of the things that's always struck me is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about Star Trek for a second. Avery Brooks is the actor who plays Captain Benjamin Sisko on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which is my favorite Star Trek. He is a black man. And on the show, he has a son and their mother is dead. And one of the things that Avery Brooks talked about a lot in interviews was wanting to have a strong, loving relationship between the father and the son because he felt that black men don't get to portray loving, caring fathers in entertainment. Without spoiling anything, there's some things that happened at the end of the series that he wasn't quite on board with because he wanted, he really wanted that relationship to be maintained. And I think about that now, watching Lost and thinking about Harold Perrineau being on this huge primetime show and being asked to portray a father who is not inattentive, but just seems incompetent. And... It feels very unfair. And again, I'm not saying the writers are doing this on purpose. I'm just saying that it's a bad look when your main black male character is constantly shown to be kind of a dick and not on the same page as everybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I do. I And it's interesting. And, and I would – here's what I'll say because there's always a chance that what we're saying is insensitive. And yeah. I think the biggest thing – to always let the audience know that um, if anything is said out of ignorance, say something, whether comment or email, because always open to mm-hmm. change. Oh, we, we have open minds to change and understand <laughs> better things that obviously we're unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think that from my perspective, I hear what you're saying and I agree and I know that to an extent, based off of interviews, 
Harold Perrineau agrees. <laughs> and I mentioned this because I do remember when season four ended, he did a couple interviews where he accused the show of being racist. Mm-hmm. And when they approached him about it, he he actually sounded very nonchalant about it. Like, it didn't seem like he was saying with vitriol, like, the show's racist and I hate it. He was saying, like, no, I just, he's like, I think that it's it's a bad stereotype to have a boy now grow up without a father. And I do find that fascinating. Like you're saying now, I think there is something to that. My capper on this, basically to conclude the the Michael portion of this uh, of this episode, is just after seeing how cool he could be in the moth, I thought maybe they had figured out like what they wanted from this character. And then to see him sort of not sort of to see him regress in this one was, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. Yeah. All right. Uh, my next note is Jack is not qualified to be in the jungle alone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, we get a flashback. Uh, we're back in the operating room. We find out this wasn't Jack's hubris. He wasn't being petulant. He was trying to save a surgery that his father botched. And the scene ends with Jack asking his father how many drinks he had at lunch. And a nurse, uh, who he will not name to his father, came to get him because she saw that he was doing uh, not so well. This flashback, the the twist at this one, the twist at the end of the first one was like, oh, this seems like it was Jack's patient. And it was like, surprise, it wasn't. And then the thing that I love that they harp on so much in the second flashback is it's like, well, then why did they call me? Because you, because you're in the first flashback, and there's no windows, and it's dark, it's dimly lit. I assumed this was at, like, 3 (laughs) a.m. And that's what I loved about that reversal is it's like, why did they call me? Because you were on a lunch break. This isn't like you were on call, and you shouldn't have been. This is, you went out to lunch. No one expects you to get hammered at a lunch break. (laughs) So that was it was, it was just, oh, I loved it. Loved it. We go back to the island. We find out Jack has been going in a circle. And Locke doesn't want anything to happen to Jack, so he tries to ward him off by saying it's his responsibility because he hunted with Ethan and he should have, you know, sent something. He's he's trying to softly push Jack away and just be like, no, let me, let me take responsibility for this. Um, he says they can't lose the island's only doctor. And Jack is having none of that shit. Can we go now? (laughs) Back in the caves, Michael is bitching to Hurley. Walt brings up the excellent point that Locke knows how to do lots of useful things, not just hunt boar, and that he's a warrior. As you mentioned, Michael says, I might not be a warrior, but I'm going south. And Hurley says, you know, back where I'm from, I'm noticed something is a warrior. (laughs) Which, I'm not sure if if we're meant to think that we mean he's a warrior at backgammon or whatever. (laughs) But... It seems it's even for Hurley. That seems like kind of a non sequitur. I'm not quite sure what to make of that. Uh, it's funny, but I don't I don't know what he could possibly be referring to. That one. Uh, what's interesting about that is that, as we'll find out a little bit later, without jumping too far, it seems clear at at this episode they know what Hurley's story is. Is the yeah. lottery? Oh yeah, with the twenty thousand dollars later. Yeah. Yeah, and so it is weird that they just have like. I was trying to think. I'm like, does Han Solo say this? Because I know that Hurley, we gradually learned, is a big Star Wars guy. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it does feel like that's a line from Star Wars, but I don't think it is. I mean, it's yeah. not. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's him just trying to break the tension. He's just like, oh, boy, that was that was rough. <laughs> yeah. Back with the search party, Jack gives Locke shit for taking a break. Then Kate gives Jack shit for being a dick. And <laughs> we find out, <laughs> we finally find out Jack feels guilty because he didn't believe Claire. And he he's really taking this all on himself. And you feel a little bit less like he's being a dick and more like, okay, you're, you're taking this really badly and you're trying to trying to fix something that uh, you broke personally. But still, like, Locke is an, an, an older man. Like, let him take a break. He knows what he's doing. Jack. Yeah. No, and especially because he's like, you know, he, as evidence of this, he let Jack run around the jungle. He went back on a search party and caught up. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> I can take a break. No, and I, I, and I do like that we do at least see that Locke is not, because uh, I do like this, and I, I think Terry O'Quinn, uh, again, just, he, he read the line, he did it right. He never loses his temper in this episode. It's really interesting. He sees that Jack is in a bad headspace, even with Michael. Like, so you can see him, like, sizing everybody up and, like, just assessing their pain points. It's a really cool performance. Yeah, and again, like, I, I do like, he does get annoyed but it's not. Oh, he's very like, clearly annoyed. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you're right. Like he just he handles it so well, and I love it. And I also I really like that moment with Jack and Kate when he he tells like he's like I didn't believe her, I didn't believe her. This is my fault. It really felt like she, you know, because obviously they have that a connection, which is already complicated. But <laughs> it is. It's so funny, like how they have a couple like dynamic without ever having been a couple and it's funny because like way back like i don't know like six episodes ago like when she was like asking if he was flirting with her and he was like no we should go to caves because caves are cool it feels like she was giving him the go ahead to be like let's start something on this island let's do it and he was just like no but caves and she like ever since then like they have had that sort of distance but at the same time, a closeness because they've shared so much on the island together. It's a really interesting dynamic. And it's to the point where she asks him, like, rather than, like, just reading the riot act when he's given lock shit. She's like, hey, can I talk to you over here? Can I just can we just go behind this tree and talk about it? And she's not going to yell at him in front of the other people. She takes him aside somewhere else and goes like, you need to chill the fuck out right now because... They don't know you as well as I do. I know that there's something going on, but right now you're just being a bastard. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like and I, Kate at this point is the only person who can tell Jack that. Yeah. I really love that too. Cause like Kate gets that one line of dialogue where she's like, what, cause what, I forget what she says exactly, but she says something like, you need to stop that. And he's like, stop what? And she just looks at him and goes that, <laughs> and, you know, like <laughs> it's one of those things on paper where it's like, it is one word, but she nailed, like, it's, it, she does it so well, because it's like, we know exactly what uh, is being conveyed. And I, yeah, I just, I loved that moment. It actually reminds me of something my wife does, where, you know, back before the plague times, uh, when we would be in social situations, and you know how it is when you're around theater people, some people are cool, and some people are really up their own asses. And she's like, <laughs> I know from just what your eyes are doing, how sincere you are being when you are talking to people. She's like, they don't know, but I know. And I can see it in your face. 
and I know what's on your mind. <laughs> I had many a, uh, what would you call it? A social gathering performance review <laughs> early on. <laughs> I'm like, so that was that. It's like, we got to talk about your etiquette. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't go into a digression, but needless to say, everything is better now. <laughs> but so we're just talking. We're just talking. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Question. Is Dominic Monaghan leaving his bandages behind a direct reference to Lord of the Rings? In which Merry and Pippin uh, leave their brooches behind, or I guess one brooch behind, when they're being chased by the Fellowship. I forget if it's if it's Dominic Monaghan or the other actor who does that, but it feels... Because the, the writer's room has to be a bunch of a, a geeky nerds, and I'm sure that they've watched those movies. So maybe I'm being too clever, but it seems like that's that's a direct reference. I I mean, you could be right. I think it is. I think it is. I'm calling. I'm coming I, down on it. Is I, no, I, 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 I believe it. Kate says it might be a dummy trail, and the fact that she knows the word dummy trail just <laughs> triggers Jack, and he gets all hissy about it later. They split up, much to the lock's chagrin. He's like, no, let's not do that. And Jack's like, yeah, we're going this way, because she can track. So you go by yourself. I'm going to find them. Next scene is we have Walt and Sawyer together, which is a fun duo. He's 10, so it must be true. He says uh, lying about your name is dumb, like Sawyer is doing. And then he mentions to Sawyer that Saeed is back in camp. And Sawyer uh, gets a little look on his face. That was a fun little scene. Like, you have... Because it makes you wonder what the situation was where they just start talking to each other. Uh, the fact that Sawyer that would even like... That is a good point. Yeah, the fact that he would even tolerate the, a child like coming up to him and talking to him is not intriguing to me. <laughs> Boone references the red shirts of Star Trek. Locke, who apparently has never seen Star Trek, says that uh, Captain Kirk must be a piss-poor captain. Arguably true. Knowing what I know about Locke, it seems like he would have seen Star Trek. <laughs> is that like i don't know is this does this resonate with you it does strike me as odd that Locke, being what i would guess would be in his early 50s has not seen star trek especially Locke. it it seems almost too cute that uh boone would have to explain this to him but you know what Maybe Locke was too busy being a Boy Scout. Who knows? But yes, I agree that it seems odd to me that Locke is unfamiliar with Star Trek. All right. Cool. But yeah, I guess it, it is It is cute. Uh, and a nice bit of foreshadowing, because Boone is a red shirt. He absolutely is. There's also, remember, um, later on, Kate tells Shannon that there's there's no oh, one yes. safer with than Locke. And it's like, whoa, boy. We <laughs> eat those words later. Boone doesn't believe Locke was a regional collection supervisor for a box company. Jack asks Kate for some honesty, which is like, Jack, you're already really fucked up about something else right now. It's like, don't take this out on Kate. She says her dad was a ranger and they'd spend eight hours tracking deer. We got another arc number there, eight. Oh, uh, yeah. It strikes me, and I wrote a note here, that Kate's been real sad for the last few episodes. I feel like ever since the torture episode where um, when Saeed left and Jack resorted to torturing Sawyer, that there's been a sadness to Kate that I think wasn't there before, before she was a little more fierce. And it, it seems like she's 
if it's a character decision, it almost seems like she's slowly accepting the, the idea that they're not going to be rescued. You know, it's interesting you mentioned this. Because, yeah, even the scene where I think it was the last episode where she's sinking on the beach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of forlorn. Yeah, that's a good that's a better word for it. She just doesn't. She seems adrift. Given that Sawyer, as we'll see in the next scene, mentions that the fuselage is almost in the water or, you know, production's way of saying, can we put this away? <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I wonder if that is something that maybe like subtextually they're like. And actually, it does seem like it would be fitting that she'd be rattled because, yeah, she that is one of the few things she brings up to Jack is hey, he's been gone for almost a week. But mm-hmm. in the last episode, I will say, too, I I, had, I liked this scene as well between Jack and Kate. To Jack's credit, I felt this episode makes so much more sense as to why he seeks honesty and why that's a, a trigger that. Um, yeah. Well, and again, just John Terry just crushes it. <laughs> uh, and again, I, I also got to, because I know like this whole season so far, been praising Matthew Fox and he again, as we'll get to, I'm sure, when he tries to resuscitate Charlie. Um, <laughs> he is phenomenal. And I'm, I wish that I, I want to see him in more things because I, anyway, but I thought this sequence where he is just begging for some honesty out of Kate mirrors the flashbacks so well, where like it is very difficult to understand what is true from his dad. And I do think, oh, it is the, sorry, I'm reading my notes. It's the next scene that I'll I'll go into more detail about this. But the one thing about Kate's story that I did want to bring up is similar to how we were talking about in that episode where she is playfully saying, you can check me out. You can flirt. We can make a thing out of this. And Mm -hmm. Jack is in his own world. I sincerely wondered if, as Kate is telling him an honest story, because Jack also has kind of a wistful look about him, on a first read, I was like, oh, does he feel bad for taking his aggression, agitation out on her? But then I was like, or is it more self-referential where he's like, I don't have any memories of my father like that. <laughs> I think it's probably definitely some of that. Yeah. But oh man, uh, next up is my favorite scene. So I'm going to, I'm going to let you start. <laughs> I, yeah, I same. I think this is one of the most powerful scenes in the whole show. It's a flashback. Uh, Christian asked Jack to sign an affidavit. Jack implies that he's willing to tell the board his dad was drinking and Christian immediately pivots from the hard sell to flattery. Like, Right there, like he's like sitting at the desk, he's telling you something like, You gotta sign this, this is how it goes, blah 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 blah. And Jack's just like, you know what? Maybe uh maybe I tell him the truth. And like he gets up, he gets around the desk, he comes, he touches his son's shoulder. And it's it's great and it's so pathetic. And John Terry just you can see him trying to maintain power, you can see the haunted look in Jack's eye where he just never gets a straight story from this guy and it's tearing him apart. I think that at the end of this season, it might be worth it to have a a one-off episode about just Jack and his dad because Mm -hmm. this relationship, because I totally agree. I think this, this scene, it's impressive on so many different levels, partly because I've seen an unhealthy amount of Grey's Anatomy (laughs) <laughs> and 
this is the kind of thing that you would never get a quiet mano a mano scene between two people who have a disagreement. You would only get the, hey, here's all the lawyers in the room. Let me explode. <laughs> and, and it's like, can you guys just talk to each other? And this is like, I love the tension between two characters in private well after the event. Because even, and this is like, oh God, I, 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 I love that this flashback starts where I honestly thought that this could have been a coworker calling it because he's like, Jack, glad you could come in. Uh, please have a seat. Like, <laughs> no, no, like family, no, like, oh, you're my son. Hey, come on in. You know, nothing. It is yeah. ice cold. And then, as you said, like, yeah, this, uh, he appeals to his sense of duty of like, you're part of a team. Mm -hmm. And then uh, when that doesn't work, yeah, it goes into, I know I've been hard on you, but that is how you make you into a hard steel. And like, you're the you best doctor who ever doctored and, and doctored up. I know I've never said that before, but I'm just so busy. And yeah, and that's the thing is like, and I love how Matthew Fox plays it because he wants to believe those things. Yeah, it's, that's, that's an excellent point. That look on his face where you can see, and he turns around and that it's, it's very clear this is all he ever wanted to hear his father say, and his father can only say it when he's trying to just get something from him. That that would mess you up for life, I think. I think that Yeah. <laughs> it's sad and it's it 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 hurts. You feel for Jack. Like it's and I could again, I could be wrong, but I think a lot of my issues with later seasons of Lost is that a lot of the friction that characters have with each other is that they're not telling each other things that it seems like obviously they should be telling each other and you have them stacking bad decision on top of bad decision and Jack becomes such a figure of you know like well he's the leader yada yada this episode we're early enough on in the show where we know Jack is competent we know he's the leader but you see him at his most vulnerable here and you really get to feel for him as a character like Spend the whole first part of this episode just being like, man, Jack is a dick. Why Why is anybody pulling this guy? And then you get to this scene and you're just like, well, fuck. This guy, this guy's had a rough go of it. Like, if this was your dad, Jesus Christ. And that's the thing is, like, for me, it did always feel, it bothered me when I, prior to rewatching the show on reflection, how quickly Jack writes Kate off for quote unquote lying mm -hmm. or, you know, not telling him everything. And like, yeah, like if the one person who who should be there to love you will twist that love so that they can get what they want out of you. It's just like, man, this sucks. And then also at the very end of this, you know, he appeals to a sense of duty, appeals to the son that wants love. And then he appeals to the heroism where, you know, he's like, well, you want to do this because this person was unjustly killed. But this, sign this, this is my life. Mm -hmm. That is the one thing that is not a lie, as it turns out. Because he, yep. he's like, you you take this away, I will die. But, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but the other thing, too, that like, ah, it even, I think this is right. But I don't think Christian ever admits fault. Like, not even for his parenting. He'll say, like, I know I was hard on you, but I did that for a reason. Didn't we talk about that he says something to Sawyer at some point where I think he, like, admits that he messed up? 
Oh, I, I'm sure that he does. I just mean like in this scene. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, yeah, he does not. No, he does not accept any responsibility for this whatsoever at no point. No, he really has written off this patient as, you know, just just a patient who it didn't make it. This isn't about them. This is about him. It's so selfish. And at the same time, it's you get it. You you see it. And it's funny, too. I think we might have talked about this either on the podcast or, or somewhere else about how there's actually very high instances of sociopathy amongst doctors or surgeons, which is interesting in that that sounds like a bad thing. It's like, well, you don't want you don't want somebody to be working on you as a sociopath, but it's actually you do want that because it's somebody who can remove their emotions from the equation and just operate on you. And you want somebody who can remain calm and in control. And you see a little bit of that. I mean, I don't think John Terry is playing it like a sociopath, but you see a little bit of that, like, it it doesn't matter to me, you know, who these people are. I'm, I have a job to do, or at least he had a job to do before he totally screwed it up. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Well, and uh, yeah, they, they play with that in the next flashback. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Yeah, man, oh, man. They got a good one in John Terry. That's a... Uh, yeah. Ugh, God. So Jack signs the affidavit uh, back on the island. Sawyer confronts Saeed and calls him the so deliberately racist. Is He calls him an Islam. He says, you Islams. I don't know how you Islams... I don't know if you believe in karma. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so... Again, it is so deliberate that it's just like, well, I can't even take that racism seriously because you're just being ridiculous now. Saeed tells him about Rousseau and the others, says he's not sure he believes there are others. Sawyer tells him that the tide's coming up and it's almost covered the wreckage. And while he says that I am in my rights to torture you, he has kept Saeed's signal fire burning, which doesn't really sound as, as nice as I think it's intended to. It was sort of like... Well, okay, yeah, Saeed started it, but obviously you want to be rescued. So, like, it's not like you're not doing it for him. You're doing it for you. But I get what you're trying to say, Sawyer. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's what I wrote is that I loved the tension. I loved him playing with the, uh, I don't know what it was, wire cutters or I something. A, <laughs> I think it was a straight razor. Okay. But, yeah, like, and, I, I mean, you learn a lot about Sawyer in this exchange as well, as well as Saeed. I like that Saeed doesn't bother hiding anything. Like, he's no. just very... He's, He's like, like you're the reason I, I left. I didn't want to do this. I, I had no intention of coming back. If you want to take a shot at me, take a shot. I don't care. Yeah. I don't know how many scenes they get together, but I, I really like this. Because, you know, they also, like you mentioned with the Walton Sawyer scene, like, very clearly, like, ooh, laying the groundwork for there's going to be a comeuppance. And um, there's definitely tension. Mm-hmm. But I also love that everything that Saeed is saying, Sawyer isn't like Jack, where, you know, Jack when Locke's like, well, we should stick to it. He's like, no, let's just go. Let's just go. Um, <laughs> but like Sawyer, as they like do the close-ups on his face, he is genuinely captivated. He is listening. He believes everything Saeed is saying. And um, yeah, even though, like you said, I, I don't think that, you know, necessarily keeping a signal fire burning is altruistic, but it very much is that olive branch of like, mm. we're good. Yeah. He's like, yes, I could, but no, I, that's, it, it, it feels like there's a resolution there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I uh, I liked it. We get the next scene of Walton Hurley playing backgammon, and Walt is consistently lucky. Too lucky. <laughs> this is a very early uh, hint at Walt's uh, psychokinetic powers. 
we end it with Hurley saying he owes Walt $20,000. Another hint of things to come. Walt says that his dad thinks that he's the luckiest person he ever met. Yep. And then reminds us, that's not Michael. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting in that I vaguely remember how this shakes out, but it does make you, it certainly made me remember, like, oh, has he already lost a dad? Even though, like, I know now that's not, uh, it was a voluntary on the dad's part, I believe. I believe he gives up Walt when the mom dies. After having Walt just kind of be there for anecdotal dialogues and stuff, you get a little hint of, Mm -hmm. oh, like, you recognize that Michael sucks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Oh. We learn from Boone that he runs one of his mother's subsidiaries, who's the Martha Stewart of matrimony, as he says. Locke accurately predicts the rain, and Boone is in love. He thinks Locke is so cool, and he <laughs> likes that Locke is uh, an older male authority figure who is listening to him and his story. Uh, back in the jungle, Jack and Kate hear Claire screams, or maybe Jack just hears it? Is it the island or is it in their heads? Let's yeah. not scare people off. <laughs> After what looks like a very difficult uh, climb up the, the hill there, Jack falls down and then Ethan and then and Jack fight. Or more accurately, Ethan beats the living crap out of Jack. He appears from nowhere and tells him he'll kill one of them if he doesn't stop following them. And uh, it is a it is a beatdown. We get a flashback of Jack seeing the husband of the dead patient uh, threatening to sue and talking to Christian. Jack looks at his dad comforting the man and sees how he's got his like hand on his shoulder. And uh, he's just like, we go back to the island. Jack says, I'm not letting him do this. Kate's just like, what the heck are you talking about? We get the last flashback of the episode with Christian giving his statement. And then we learn that the patient was pregnant. Which is news to Jack, yeah, not to Christian. I so yeah, I I, I noted this. I was like, would Jack really not know? Uh, I mean, again, I don't know how surgery and hospitals and ER stuff works. Seems like this wouldn't be uh, a surprise, but you know what? For the sake of drama, I guess. Oh, that so that's actually that's the part I did not. Um, yeah, he should have known that from all the reporting afterward, right? Although maybe that's. You know, I'm going to make an argument that's similar to how he's traveling through the jungle and not paying attention to someone like Locke being like, hey, we need to do this, this, this. No, we just need to go. Maybe he was so distraught over this and knows that it can ruin his father that he didn't read the full document about how she was pregnant and therefore uh, it was a twofer. Um, <laughs> oh, Jesus. Uh, but the, the part that just, again, in terms of like a lot of those flashbacks, taking what you saw in the previous flashback and usurping it. Mm -hmm. This to me, like not only was it like heartbreaking to watch Jack then be like, no, Uh, (laughs) but also that Christian doesn't miss a beat of just like, yeah, but it was very early. And it's like, dude, (laughs) like it it is, uh, it is so cold. Yeah. Jack revises his statement and says that his father severed her, uh, her paddock. Artery, you think I'm getting that right? Um, and that he believes that is the reason that she lost her life. And you can see Christian's face just just crumble inwards. And he's, when he realizes what Jack's going to do, he's like, no. 
It is, and it, he does that so well because it is simultaneously seething hatred, and also like, am I dreaming? Like that? Mm-hmm. Like, is this happening right now? And you can and, see, and Jack plays it really well too, where it, oh. you can see like he doesn't, he doesn't want to do this. He doesn't want to ruin his father's career, but he also, it's just he's. This has been inside of him for, and it's killing him. Like he's, he's devastated by this. Yeah. Well, and I. Oh. God, Matthew Fox. Uh, so, so well done. Cause like he doesn't continue to like bury the lead, but like he struggles to get the initial words out knowing that I know like what he's about to do is a bomb. And as soon as he says under the influence, it just kind of, it's like, I'm here, I'm in it. And most like yep. goes through the fence. Oh, just, Oh, God, I, <laughs> it's a, uh, it is a meaty, meaty scene. <laughs> I almost like it's uh, it, it. The whole scene is basically like shots over the shoulder shots of like Jack and and his dad. But I, if you were if you were editing this differently, you'd have a shot of all the people around the board just being like, "Ooh, that's boy, that's Grey's Anatomy in a nutshell." <laughs> let's let's have a, let's see the reaction of everyone. Yeah. Like no, like it's very much like all we really care about are these two, and yep. it's uh, it's so well done. Back in the jungle, they find Charlie hanging, and it is made so much worse by the fact that he's blindfolded. It's an execution. It's, I assume the blindfold is on because Ethan, like, didn't want them to know where they were going, but I don't know. The fact that he has, like, the fact that he's hung is terrible, but the fact that he is blindfolded feels so sinister to me. And I think his hands are bound. Uh, Are they? I could be wrong, but I thought they were. They might, they might have been. Yeah, it's. I, I think I was so caught up on the blindfold that I was just like, oh Jesus, that is. It just, yeah, oh. And Jack is, you know, Jack. Prior to this point, seems like he viewed Charlie as, you know, an annoyance at best. And to have found them only to find them in this state, like Jack, like he lets out a sound that is like it's very much just like it's like he's he doesn't want this to happen. Like he goes, he lifts him up gets Kate to, you know, climb up and, and cut him down. It's, it's, it's intense when he starts trying to revive him and is just pounding on his chest gets to a point. Kate can't even watch anymore. She like you, you feel it in her. Like she, it bubbles up and like, she just like, she can't look. I've written down in real life. Jack would have turned Charlie's rib cage into mush. Like that's even in real life. Performing CPR is, is not a clean, it's not something that happens without instant. Like you very easily can crush someone's rib cage and Jack has just pulped Charlie's chest by the end of the scene. Yeah. I mean, like you're supposed to push so hard that you like break the ribs. Yeah. Um, I will say even just as acting goes, it's always one of those things where it seems like it's a, it's a dangerous thing to perform knowing that you should go hard, but mm-hmm. you can't cause there's a, human <laughs> and um you can tell that like he is not pushing super hard but again matthew fox his face his 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 come on like it very much like he sells it you know and yeah. i i do love that do you think the the point where kate tells him to stop and he gives up a little bit and then goes back do you think it's too far do you think it pushes over it uh into it's a corny territory, or it's just no. ridiculous. It, it is ridiculous. 
but I did love it. I, I just because I also love that she, you know, like, it is like you see like so much character in the two of them where she's like, please stop, and <laughs> and he's like, no, no, <laughs> and it's it's just like, oh god. I, I think it it does speak to that is Jack. That is the character. Like he for for good or bad, he's not gonna stop. He gets so fixated on this shit. And especially with, you know, having seen all the flashback, you're like, if he loses Charlie like this, he won't mentally like recover from it or emotionally. Like he he needs Charlie to live because he can't see this happen. Like it's it's so personal for Jack. And it's it's what makes Lost great here is that Jack has some very toxic character traits, some things that are not good for him or the people around him. But it's that same toxicity, that refusal to give up in the face of what is clearly a, a dead person that allows <laughs> him to to bring him back. And I'm I've always been curious if we are meant to think, well, Jack was tenacious enough that he did bring Charlie back, or if this is a little bit of the island magic. So what I, what do you think? Where do you where do you fall on this? I definitely felt it was island magic. And I mean, I guess, even though I know, I don't think Jacob was even a brainstorm at this point, but I, it was like that kind of like that inner, it's it, in retrospect, it seems like, oh yeah, he's like harnessing that inner Jacob to like touch someone, uh, bring him back. Yeah. I don't know. Did you feel it was, it was magic? I think it is. I think we, we learn later on that I think Ben says, I mean, there's like an episode titled like dead is dead. Like the island can't resurrect you, but I think the island manifests things, and I think it's Jack. This is me going way, way into fan theory here, but I think that Jack, for a moment, the island, Charlie is not dead yet. He's on the precipice. He's mostly dead. And the island basically allows Jack to bring him back because he wants it that badly. And, you know, as we see with Locke, as we see with like a couple other things, like the island can do things. And my reading of the scene is because Jack won't let go, because Jack wants to revive him so badly that the island gives it like that little nudge. That's my that's my take on it. I feel like that's right, because, yeah, you're right. Like I had this played out differently, like had this been a one season long show, mm-hmm. had Charlie died. I don't think we would have ever gotten Jack back. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another question for you, which uh, about uh, future seasons. Do we find out later on or do you think this is where Charlie was meant to die? Because remember, like Desmond's whole thing about his flash forwards where he's seeing the future is that you can't prevent the death that's coming for you. So was this the death that Charlie was meant for or is there a different or is this or is there is that a different death that basically has to catch up with him? I think it's a different death. Yeah. Cuz the the imagery, well, I guess I'll ask you first cuz it felt this way to me, but I I was curious to get your thoughts given that they're pursuing a pregnant woman, given that Jack's flashbacks involve a pregnant woman. When Charlie is resuscitated, Based off of the imagery and Charlie 
gasping, barely able to breathe. Oh, 100%. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I, I, I wrote that down as well. It is very much that. It is Jack delivering Charlie like a newborn. Yeah, you're totally right. Okay, because I, I really did, I think between this and the moth, like I felt like this was sort of a rebirth for Charlie. Mm-hmm. Although I do remember the very first time I watched this, thinking that Charlie had amnesia. Like I didn't, t- I took the, <laughs> at the end when he's like, I don't remember anything. I don't remember. Like I was like, oh, is this going to be his character now? Yeah, it's weird the drug because, because then he immediately follows that with all they wanted was Claire. It's like, well, yeah, you, you, then you do remember something, buddy. Like I get you've been through a trauma, but that's, it's weird that he's not horse at all. And there's yeah. no mention of like, you have mashed up my chest. Well, but, I, yeah. And like, it's like, but of all the characters who could stand to lose like some brain cells too, it's like, this one's probably all right. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, um, yeah, that imagery of him being the, the newborn and Jack and Kate, like mm-hmm. celebrating, like I do like, it just, yeah, it feels like I, I get the impression that it is. I do think that it's magic. But I don't think that it's the same death that was chasing Charlie. I think. Yeah, I think you're right. I think maybe that's a, a different thing that comes up. Yeah. But yeah, I do. I and Dominic Monaghan does do that well. But he's like, <laughs> he yeah. It, I believe that he was without oxygen for a long, long time. That is, it looks so painful. <laughs> it does. Oh man. Finishing up the episode, we've got Charlie basically catatonic at the caves. He says uh, all they wanted was Claire, and Jack's like, they? And then the final scene is Locke is following a feeling towards something. He's like, don't you feel it? Boone's like, no, dude, I'm going back. Uh, He tosses Boone the flashlight, and they find the hatch. I I watched this episode twice, and I didn't remember that's how it ended. Apparently, um, I was looking up uh, some factoids about the episode, and... They originally find the hatch uh, much earlier in the episode, but they moved it to the end because they wanted the cliffhanger. And that actually would make more sense because otherwise, like, they're just – because Locke says, like, I think before the end of the episode, he's like, oh, no, the trail's cold, like, a long time ago. There's no way. We're just wandering around in the forest now. I think we've mentioned this before, but them finding the hatch was something that J.J. initially pitched. Like, this was uh, all the way – all the way at the very beginning of the the show's DNA is that Abrams wanted them to find like structures on the, on the Island. Yeah. All right. (laughs) I just, I, I remember being so disappointed, but again, season two, I I am very curious how I'm going to feel about this on a rewatch, but I always think of season two as the hatch season. Oh, it very much is the hatch season. They spend so much time in that hatch. Yeah. And I don't like it. Setting up the second season as we have to press this button every 90 minutes or whatever, or the world ends, is the first big season-wide thing of like, are we just spinning our wheels? Are you just waiting for me to not press this button so I have to just wait 20 episodes for us to see like what's actually going to happen? And the show will do that with several other things moving forward introducing these Chekhov's guns and being like, oh, we're going to shoot it, you know, later. And it's like, okay, I guess that's the show now. I distinctly remember, yeah, you're right. That's absolutely what it is. Is it's We're going to push the button. Oh, we're, we're yeah, we're going to push the button. And we're not going to not push the button until <laughs> the end. 
<laughs> but we're not going to explain what happened either way. We're just going to. Uh, yeah. And then the other thing I remember from season two is just the first eight episodes could have been two. Uh, <laughs> and I, I oh, that's going to be. That we're, as when we started this, as, as I'm like listening back to the episodes and, and doing the edit, you know, we're we're so like surprised and happy at like, you know, the newness of season one. And the further along we get in season one, we're still we're I think we're enjoying these episodes even more than those first ones, but we're enjoying them so much that now we're starting to psych ourselves out and being like, Oh yeah, but the other seasons are coming. <laughs> Very much so. Cause I, I again I, and I, I you know, maybe I'll soften to it. I just yeah, see, season two. But anyway, I'll get it out of it right now. But um on a whole, <laughs> I'll have to sit with it. For, for more than a hot minute, but I, I think this was my favorite one. I think so far of what we've seen, I think this tops everything else I've seen so far. Really? You were you really liked, um, I think it was called Isolation, the Saeed Rousseau one. I felt like that was your favorite yeah. one. Yeah. Actually, I feel like your you, each episode has been your favorite one for the yeah, last like, four point, episodes. Yeah. <laughs> but I this get it. A... I, I will repeat what I said at the beginning in that I think – if last episode felt like a crystallization of the characters, this really feels like a turning point into this is what Lost is. It's running through the jungle, being pursued by some unknown force. There are mysteries on the island that we're uncovering. People are developing feelings for each other and keeping secrets. This feels like the show becoming the show that I that I remember. Yeah, I think that's right. And I remember now, too, maybe I said this, maybe I didn't. But I know in Solitary, a thing that I enjoyed was that it, it also serves as a payoff because we had the French woman. You mm -hmm. know, it was like, and again, this one really like it makes the earlier Jack one that much stronger. Absolutely. Because and maybe this is something that will change because I know that there are some flashbacks I like more than others. But what I like about this flashback is it it's not a one-to-one -one with what's happening on the island. It's not – I know that there are some flashbacks that it, – maybe it's in the later seasons – that feel too much like they're trying to make what's happening on the island relevant to the character. Mm. And like, I think the, the lock and his weed one – I always think of that one with this. Oh, yeah. Think, <laughs> Every time you I, mention it, I forget it's a, that's a thing. It, it, I might be wrong, but I, I think it's like because the whole point of that one is that he, he's not going to kill a guy. And then it's like he's with Ben and, or he's not going to kill. I don't know. But my point is, like, it felt too much like they were trying to force a parallel. And what I liked about this is that, yeah, like it's not forcing this parallel of Jack and his dad with what's happening on the island. But it it does let you know like this is why this is important to jack yeah and it's relevant but it's not a parallel i think that's maybe that's what i'm trying to say is i i think it's it's not jack's tattoos is that what you're telling me yeah. god <laughs> i don't even know i feel like that's an episode that i honestly like even as i saw it i'm like wait what what happened like i blinked and i missed it because <laughs> i i don't remember what happens in that episode and how it's that relevant. episode is so bad that even the showrunners consistently say that it is a terrible episode of television. I think Carlton Cuse, probably Damon Lindelof too, uh, has, has said like, no question. That is the worst episode of our TV show. I, I, I will be so curious if when we get to it, if I, if I differ or if it is that bad, 
Because it's so it, so much of it is completely inconsequential. Even the flashback stuff and the island stuff. Like they introduce this sheriff of the others and this like mark that gets burned into it. Like none of that ever comes back or is relevant. It's very clearly like the writers spinning their wheels because they're locked into contracts and they're like, you have to let us end the show because it's just going to be more of this. And no one wants that. I remember that. Yeah, the, the, yeah, that weird ritual. And that lady who shows up and tells Jack what his tattoos say, but not what they mean. But then she never shows back up. It's yeah. yeah. Anyway, getting ahead of myself. This episode, though, I loved it. At least at the moment. It feels like it's my favorite. Um, <laughs> yeah, I really feel that the last three or four have been a, a, a spectacular run. Uh, each one has been just really, really draws me in and keeps me keeps me there. To bring up a thing that was mentioned on like one of our first episodes, but like, how do you keep a mystery show going? And like, this is how you, like it pays off enough. Like again, like yeah, finding Rousseau. Like we're not gonna just dangle that like a button for a whole season. But it's <laughs> like, yeah, now that we know that there are other people on this island, now we have a new problem. Claire's been kidnapped. And it's like, oh, we have a new problem. Like I, I think that's the thing, is it, it can it can build out while supporting what's happened already. It keeps the momentum going. Mm-hmm. So I yeah, it's it's good. It's good. There's some good lost right there. When they think Charlie's dead, I want to say that that's the first time we hear that score, that particular. Oh, my God. Yes. Thank you for bringing it up. I completely, I didn't even put it down in my notes, but I was thinking about it. I remember getting up to wash a dish and thinking about it, like, as I was washing the dish, just being like, oh, God, that that, that little score there. That, I, I agree with you. I think that's the first time we hear it, that, uh, uh, that just the sad, the sad. Yes. Yeah. It is so effective. I uh and it only becomes more powerful over time because whenever they use it like in the future, it's it's some it's yes. Yes. I, I gotta find out what that what what do we call it? A measure, whatever that whatever that snippet of, of music is called. Um I'm sure it has like a I'm sure it has a, a name to it. Um but yeah, that is that's some good shit. I yes. Oh man. Yeah. That, and that to me, that, when I think of this, like, I, I know all the sounds and even the ending of, doo, 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 you know, like it's all of this, like is, is I'm like, Oh yeah, I know this. I know this. I know this. But when I heard that one come up, it's like that to me, that's lost. Like I, I hear that piece and it's like, Oh yes, you nailed it. 